Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're reviewing our tray-baked plum berry meringue from Waitrose. Did this blend of humble cobbler-type fruit and sophisticated meringue work on both sides of the Atlantic? Then, we'll introduce an apricot peach and blackberry cobbler that really takes advantage of all available summer fruits. Finally, we'll chat about some of the new fall cookbooks that are putting a smile on our faces. From familiar bakers to new finds, we've got the scoop. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, you might recall last week in episode 91 that I stated I liked fresh peaches but not cooked peaches. Yes. I'm here to tell you that I had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. (laughs) Never admit that, darling. (laughs) I must admit it because my husband often says this is the most frustrating thing about me, that the minute he thinks he's like figured something out, I changed my mind. Here's what changed my mind. Okay. Fresh peach cake from Ina Garten. Ooh. That might change your life. Yeah. (laughs) It was so good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I made this for a friend who purchased an auction item where she gets a dessert a month from me. And it was a recipe that I'd been wanting to try for a while. And I love Ina Garten. She's sort of my tried and two, also known as the Barefoot Contessa, for those of you who aren't familiar with her. I don't think I've ever had a recipe from her go wrong. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, my experience as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I had these great fresh peaches, and I just thought, you know, I know I didn't, I I didn't not love the classic peach pie. It was fine. It was sort of in there. I thought, you know, maybe I'll make a peach cake and see if I feel differently about that. And lo and behold, I did. So maybe when the the cooked fruit is enrobed in a layer of cake... (laughs) That that mm. makes the difference for me. <laughs> Maybe enrobing anything would be <laughs> make anything better. So which cookbook is this from? I have many of hers, but I don't remember running across this. Oh, good question. This was I found it online through foodnetwork.com. Oh, okay. So I don't know if it's from a particular cookbook or just a recipe that she contributed online. But I'll definitely put a link to it in the show notes. I really enjoyed when I was making it. My friend, listener Craig, was visiting, and I got to the stage of the recipe where you're supposed to sift the flour, the baking soda, the baking powder, and the salt together, Mm -hmm. and then add it slowly to the wet ingredients. And he heard me do the, you know, deep sigh. And I said, (laughs) Craig, when you're making a cake and you get to this step, do you really do this? And he looks at me and he says, yes. And I said, and I said, why? And he goes, because that's what the recipe tells you to do. Right on, Craig. Yes, a rule follower, just like me. Yes. And his cakes always turn out beautifully. So I don't know why I keep trying to skip this step. I, I'm just lazy, I guess, is what it comes down to. And he laughed, you know. And he said, No, I get what you mean. I mean, it, you because you dirty up two whole other items. You dirty up the sifter and you dirty up the separate bowl to do the sifting into. 
So are you saying, wait, hang on, mm-hmm. I'm, my mind is being just blown here for a moment. Yeah. Are you saying that you just start dumping the dry into <laughs> the wet willy-nilly? <laughs> Well, I mean, I wouldn't say willy-nilly. Like, what I do, (laughs) what I do, had Craig not been there to observe me, what I would have done is I would have all the wet ingredients, you know, the creamed butter and Mm -hmm. sugar and that sort of thing and the eggs in my KitchenAid stand mixer. And then I would first add in, like, the baking soda and the baking powder to get those mixed in and the salt. Mm-hmm. So I would get oh. those three things mixed in first, oh. and then I would slowly add in the flour. So number okay. one, I wouldn't sift, and number two, I wouldn't mix them all together in a separate bowl, because that's two oh. more items I have to clean. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, here's the thing. The definition of insanity is that you continue to do the same thing and expect different results. Mm-hmm, and, right. you know, I now have two years of preheated history of me not mm-hmm. following the rules when it comes to baking a cake. And then my cake doesn't turn out and I'm mad mm-hmm. at myself. So I did follow the rules. The cake turned out beautifully. Thank you, Barefoot Contessa. I also know that she's an author I can trust. She is the type of yeah. person that were there a shortcut, she would give it to me. Yeah, that's true. She's all about, you know, making things easy for yourself. Entertaining should be relaxing, all that kind of stuff. So I felt pretty good that if she had said, you know, feel free to skip this step. I do it all the time and I've never noticed a problem. But she didn't. It was in there. So fresh peach cake from Ina Garten. I can recommend it. Well, I think you may have opened up an entirely new chapter in your cake making. I know. Maybe I've turned over a new leaf. Well, speaking of putting your wet with your dry and also the fact that you are now enjoying baked fruit, I wanted to quickly point out another recipe. Uh, It is a nectarine apricot and earl gray tea loaf from Waitrose Food as well, the August issue. And Andrea, you really, really loved – in fact, I think you awarded them a blue ribbon to our Earl Grey London Fog Shortbread uh, back in episode – gosh, what was that? Episode 61. I think so. And Mm -hmm. we love that flavor of the tea in the rich biscuit. And so I immediately thought of you when I saw this. It has three uh, tea bags. You steep them in some whole milk and then dried apricot. So you could really make this um, maybe a little bit more flexibly than using fresh – And then ripe nectarines, some golden castor sugar, eggs, lemon zest, nutmeg, and then you top it with a little apricot jam. So it's beautiful and looks really moist. And that combination of the Earl Grey with the fruit sounds really Mm. great. So I'll post that um, as well. And you guys can take a look if you need another tea loaf or fruit this month. And who doesn't? Indeed. Well, Andrea, it is time for the review of our second stone fruit dessert this month during our uh, spectacular stone fruit month of September. Don't you love all those S's? I'm so pleased with I'm quite impressed with your uh, ability (laughs) to say that so well. Good job. My alliteration skills, yeah. Um, This week we made up the tray baked berry meringue. We're calling it our tray baked plum and berry meringue since plums are a crucial ingredient. And also there's our stone fruit. This was from uh, Waitrose. And was the combination of a very kind of humble stewed fruit bottom and then a billowing, very exotic looking meringue on top. Andrea, I'm dying to know how this turned out for you. This dessert put me through the full gamut of all the emotions, the highs, (laughs) the lows, the ups, the downs, all the feelings. So I will attempt to chart my experience here for you. 
first up was a high, and that was shopping for this fruit because my farmer's market had such an amazing selection of plums. And I've mentioned to you how jealous I am of, you know, the British labeling and, you know, all the farms and stuff. And I I kind of felt like I got close to that with the plums because the varieties and the area of town and in some cases the farms were noted. So for my plums, I went with something called the Flavor Grenade from (laughs) Wapato, Washington. And my gosh. Yeah, I thought. So intense. Yeah, how could I not get something called the Flavor Grenade? So that was really fun. And the person working at the farmer's market was great about letting me try the different plums. And I, I, I agreed. That one just had this huge burst of flavor. So that was very exciting. My second emotional high was when I decided to use aquafaba instead of a traditional meringue. You had suggested this last week. And for those of you who have not heard us discuss this magical thing before, aquafaba is a vegan meringue. It is made using chickpea liquid. And as it turned out, I was making my homemade hummus, which I do about once a week. And I always use... um, canned chickpeas to make my hummus. So this time, instead of, you know, just draining that chickpea juice out of the can and letting it just go down the drain, I drained it into a bowl. And then I whipped it up in my KitchenAid stand mixer on the whisk attachment. It took about... I would say three to five minutes to get the stiff, glossy peaks. Now, I did try it about midway through to see how it was tasting, and it had a very beany flavor, which is not what I want in my (laughs) vegan meringue. So um, I did toss in quite a bit of... um, powdered sugar. And yep. so, I, you know, the, the recipe as written has castor sugar and corn flour and white wine vinegar. Since I was using a whole different thing, trying to do this vegan meringue and doing the aquafaba, I actually followed a recipe, you know, I think it was from the minimalist baker for how to make aquafaba. And that was using powdered sugar and a little bit of vanilla. And yeah. when I tossed those items in, it remarkably changed the flavor. And in fact, I gave it to my husband. I said, hey, what do you think about this? And he tasted it and was like, great, you know. And I said, guess right. guess what it is? And he said, what? And I was like, it's chickpea goo. <laughs> and, you know, he couldn't believe it. It's magical. Yeah. It is. It really, really is magical. So that was really fun. I got my fruit all ready. And then I, you know, just sort of lovingly spooned that aquafaba on top in these billowy pillows of whiteness. It was just so gorgeous. I then placed it in the oven. Now, the recipe says preheat to 140 degrees Celsius. That, uh, by my math, comes to about 280 degrees Fahrenheit. I think I went with 275. And I mean, there was a lot of math here because same thing on the baking dish. It was a 20 by 30 centimeter. And I used my 7 by 11 pan yep, for that. exactly. You put it into the oven and bake for one hour. Now, this is where I got a little nervous because the recipes on the internet for baking an aquafaba meringue we're at a much lower temperature I would say even like 175 instead of 275 but I was afraid if I lowered the temperature that much you know 100 degrees Mm. that the fruit wouldn't cook all the way through and so I thought well better to just go with the recipe as written and keep my fingers crossed so I popped it in the oven and I promptly left the house and told my husband to take it out in an hour (laughs) oh dear (laughs) yeah And this is where the emotional tidal wave changed from the high to the low. I came home and my poor husband is standing there and he says, I think I did something wrong. And I was like, what do you mean? Did you know, did you not take it out? He goes, no, I took it out, but look at it. And I looked at it. 
the only remaining meringue was in, I, I would say, about <laughs> one quarter of the pan. And the rest had just completely disappeared. I mean, it had really just sort of melted completely into the fruit. So it wasn't burned. It was just gone. Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Just disappeared. And the fruit was super runny. And so I yeah. think that was maybe the mer- melted meringue. I assured my husband it was not his fault. Obviously, I should not have left the house. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> but uh, With meringue in the oven. I, I, no, how did I think that was going to work out well? But, you know, I just rallied. I thought this is not a big deal. Um, I'm going to use a slotted spoon when I serve this. I um, served it to two of our friends, and I did not tell them it was aquafaba on top. So I gave them a little piece of the, the part that cooked. And then I had also saved in the fridge the remaining aquafaba, so still the, yeah. you know, the unbaked. And I just put a little bit more on top of theirs. I have to say, like, one of my friends went back for seconds, and she... She thought it was just great. Yeah. And then my husband, who didn't even want to try it because I think he was so kind of disappointed in looking at it and thinking he had traumatized. Yeah, he was he was a little bit traumatized. (laughs) He finally said, like, oh, I'll take a bite of yours. And then he tried it. He was like, oh, this is really great. And so Mm -hmm. we all ended up eating it. And I think it was just such a nice, light dessert. I think it's it, it was really great. It was unexpectedly good is how I would maybe be my one line phrase. So if I were to do it again, and I wanted to go the vegan version again, and this is such a a lovely dessert to make vegan, because you don't have to make any modifications to the filling, um, I would definitely lower the temperature for the aquafaba, or at least keep a closer eye on it. Maybe I could have kept it at the same temperature. And perhaps it would have been done at, you know, 45 minutes instead of an hour. Since I wasn't monitoring it, I can't speak to what the best way to do that would be. So I'll play around with that a little bit more. But that that was my experience, all the feelings, um, as I said, emotional the emotional roller coaster <laughs> of the meringue. You know, I wonder, another thought I had is if you could just bake the fruit for some time before so it got to a little bit of a softer oh. state, then add the meringue and finish it off that way. I wonder if that might Great work. idea. Because, yeah. again, you were flying blind as far as that aquafaba variation went. So I had some similar issues and then... And then not because I did just the classic meringue. Yeah. So, so how did yours turn out? Yeah. So my kind of one sentence review is great flavor and style. What's this strange juice? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was not your meringue. It was having to do with the fruit and not thickening because I also experienced I ended up pouring off when mine was all said and done a cup of the juice and I took speaking of your husband thank him I took a tip from him when you had made a pie this was several years ago and it was too runny oh yeah I said just tip it upside down right. and drain the juice off and I thought ding 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 that's what I'm gonna do and it was fabulous I loved the flavors in this dessert I thought it was just so classy and elegant mm-hmm. and just very different mm-hmm. I loved the fruit underneath and then this billowing meringue I made mine with the eggs that came together beautifully. And then because we're talking about all the varieties, I made sure to write down the varieties of my fruit because they were so fun. I used yellow plums that were called Reeves Seedlings. They were from Gloucestershire. My blackberries were called Victoria. They were from Herefordshire. And my raspberries were called Berry Jewels from West Sussex. So I'm so into this now. I'm going to be keeping track wherever wherever I am. Um, yeah, this 
the fruit itself I thought was just phenomenal by itself. I love plums. I love baking with plums. I thought the plum vanilla combination was just outstanding and mm-hmm. would have been great with even without the meringue. But I loved the crispy but marshmallowy meringue as well. I guess one thing I would caution you is this texture is going to change if you have to keep this in the fridge for a day or even two. That meringue's going to get kind of soggy and not at its best. So I think it's a dessert you want to finish as much as you can the night or the day of. That's going to be at its best. But I was, again, what did you call your review? Like, better than expected? Unexpected surprise? Like, <laughs> unexpectedly good. Unexpectedly good. good. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I was really intrigued and kind of delighted by this dessert. So I I really liked it. So what would you think about maybe next time adding a thickener to the berries? Maybe adding a little bit of flour or cornstarch or tapioca flour? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And what I ended up doing was pouring off that that sauce. Mm -hmm. They call it a sauce. So they are expecting you to have some kind of liquid there, but it was much too much. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of boiled that down outside of the fruit to make it a little bit more syrupy. And I'll tell you what, that was good on yogurt. That was good on all kinds of stuff, even outside of this dessert. So I think that's a really good idea because I don't think, you know, sometimes when you're making a cobbler or a crisp or something, it's using the juice in the filling to kind of add moisture to what's on top. And I don't think that's the case here. So I don't think the meringue is trying to soak up some of that sauce no, I don't in order think so to cook. Either. So I think adding some tapioca or corn flour would be right on. And then you'll just have that kind of nice thickened filling yeah. that's more cobbler-esque that I think in the U.S. we think of as, yeah. as a cobbler yeah. type of filling. So, Well, it'd be interesting to see if our listeners made this one because I'd, I'd be interested in their experiences. It, it was very different for me, so I'm really glad you picked it. I'm really glad we tried it. Up next week is an apricot peach and blackberry crumble. This recipe comes from Diana Henry, and it is her book called Food from Plenty. This is on the Telegraph UK website, so we'll have a link to that. It is going to be a combination of apricots, peaches, and blackberries, so some really great stone fruits and a berry in there with a little bit of lemon and some sugar, some flour, some ground almonds, and then, of course, our lovely butter and some flaked almonds on top. So I am pretty excited about this particular dessert. Me too. This is, Diana Henry is a very well-regarded British food journalist. She is the uh, the Telegraph, rather. She is their food columnist. She is a prolific cookbook author as well. Very well-regarded and well-loved in, in this country. The thing that makes me eager to try this is this is more of your traditional crumble, what they, what they would call this dessert in England. If you notice, Andrea, Uh, I think when I think of a crumble topping, I'm looking for more of something like oats or uh, something a little heartier. And this really, aside from the flour and the almond flour, which is essentially Mm -hmm. what those ground almonds are, uh, this is going to be more almost battery, I'm wondering. So it's going to be interesting. Crumble to me usually means oats, brown sugar, pecans, and maybe some coconut. Yes. So yeah. this is a this is very different for me as well, but I'm pretty excited about it. I love almonds, so I, I think that's going to be a great flavor to try out. I did want to just make sure that when it's this says apricots here, you mean fresh apricots. This is not using dried apricots, correct? I would go with fresh just based on the time of year. 
Yes, and this recipe was just yeah. recently published as well. And I think, in fact, the the leader on it says um, is great for celebrating the fruit of the season, something like that. I was looking at the first ingredient there. It says apricots quartered and stoned. So yeah, I think it's definitely um, the fresh. Remember, we'll have a link to these recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as on our Facebook page. Well, Stefan, I don't know about you, but I love fall. It's not only time to get back into our kitchens and fire up our ovens, but it's also a time when so many new cookbooks are published. And I know you've been doing a little sleuthing on the shelves, so tell us, uh, what new releases can we look forward to in the next couple of weeks? There is so much goodness in the cookbook aisle this season and from a great selection of authors. First up, an Australian baker we've talked a lot about last spring, Donna Hay. She has a very comprehensive volume called Modern Baking, Cakes, Cookies, and Everything in Between, which features (laughs) more than 250 recipes for all things sweet. Oh, right. She also just released a kid's cookbook, which we talked about back in episode 84. Ah, busy lady. (laughs) (laughs) Who else is trotting out a new title? I am such a fan of Rose Levy Berenbaum, and whenever we do a Facebook poll about favorite cookbooks, hers always top the list. So I know she's popular with our listeners, too. And she has a new one called Rose's Baking Basics, which features 100 step-by-step essentials like chocolate sheet cake, peach cobbler, and milk chocolate Mm. caramel tart. And Andrea, what I like about this one is that it contains over uh, 600 step-by-step photos. Oh, yeah, I find that very helpful. And especially in an essentials cookbook, you can learn a lot from the photos. Yeah, absolutely. I um, often buy cookbooks based on the photos alone. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Up next is called All About Cake by Christina Tosi or Tosi. Um, Andrea, she's the founder of Momofuku Milk Bars in, uh, let's see, New York, D.C., and I think uh, Canada up in Toronto. So have you eaten at one of her bakeries? No, it's on my list, um, and I definitely have one of her recipes. It's called a Momofuku Milk Bar Crack Pie that I'm dying to make. So I will report back if I ever do make that one. Yeah, I've heard of that. And in fact, the pictures I've seen, it looks very similar to uh, the shoe fly desperation pie we made back in episode 65. So you'll have to let us know. I will. I will. Um, I was also happy to see that this cookbook uh, has recipe for mug cakes, like we discussed in episode 80, and crockpot pot desserts. And breaking news, Andrea, I broke down and bought myself a new English (gasps) crockpot. So that is really exciting. Um, Very exciting. We did some crockpot desserts way back in um, episode 18, first season. So, All right, the puddings, the rice pudding. Um, And also when I was perusing this Milk Bar uh, website, I found out that they regularly host classes. So if you are in any of those areas, New York, D.C., or Toronto, check them out. They look awesome. Oh, yeah. I'd love to hear about that. Or if you're not in those areas, why don't you just plan a vacation around the class? You know how much (laughs) we both love doing that? We do. Um, I also love discovering new authors and bakeries, and this one jumped out at me for that reason. It's called Sister Pie, The Recipes and Stories of a Big-Hearted Bakery in Detroit. It's by uh, Lisa Ludwinski, and her bakery is really helping to revitalize the Motor City, as she says, one slice at a time. So, Andrea, it's one of these pay-as-you-can bakeries, so everyone leaves with a piece of pie, and people without any money can cash in a pie-it-forward gift card that another customer has donated. And I love that concept, and this book looks chock-full of terrific pie recipes. Um, Two that jumped out to me were toasted marshmallow butterscotch pie and a sour Mm. cherry bourbon pie. 
Oh, those both sound great. And pie it forward is such an awesome concept. A few of my local coffee shops here in Olympia, they offer the pay it forward sort of thing on coffee. I love being able to do that with pie. So we'll have to keep our eye out for that one for our pie month next year as well. Yes. Are there any others to get excited about? Of course. So in addition to a lot of great baking books, there's some more general cooking books are hitting the shelves. Uh, London restaurateur Yotam Otolenghi has a book called Simple, which features 30-minute one-pot veggie-forward meals. And if you're interested in more of his sweets, you can listen back to episode 80 because I talked to his pastry chef, Helen Go. And as we were just saying, the queen herself, Ina Garten, Barefoot <laughs> Condessa, she is releasing her 10th or 11th volume, and it's called cook like a pro and now that we've mentioned it i'm sure it will rock it <laughs> to the number yeah. one spot <laughs> sure ina needs our help <laughs> but just like you said earlier at the start of the show they, her recipes are consistently super delicious well written reliable and i always like her entertaining tips Me too. Yeah, she is so great at the at-home entertaining piece. Speaking of Ina, I've got one more new book coming out from one of my favorite authors as well. I'm really looking forward to Everyday Dory, The Way I Cook, and that's by Dory Greenspan. I read a quote from her that made me think that her book is perfect for us and our listeners because she said, These days I have only one rule. There must be dessert. Please follow it. (laughs) Done. So um, remember, we made Dory's breakfast biscotti way back in episode 23 in our breakfast bakes month. And I also made her world peace cookies as one of my big batch bakes back in 2017. That's right. Yeah, we've had great success with Dory's recipes. Andrea, uh, speaking of something else you really love, I was astonished at the number of sous vide and Instapot books hitting the shelves. Oh, yeah. I am a fan of both of those gadgets, as you know. Uh, We talked about the sous vide back in episode 21, and I've regularly gone on about my Instant Pot, most memorably last April in episode 73.5 when we made our Sussex Pond pudding. Oh, yes. That was one of your favorites. Um, So you might want to keep an eye out for a book called Comfort in an Instant by Melissa Clark and Sous vide for Everyone by America's Test Kitchen, another super reliable source. Um, oh, yeah. And then finally, Andrea, I know we'll both want to pick up our girl, Reese Witherspoon's first cookbook oh. slash lifestyle manual. I love this title. It's called Whiskey in a Teacup, and she shares recipes, party ideas, and entertaining tips, and how to do a perfect set of hot rollers. Not hot rolls, hot rollers. <laughs> that was crucial for me growing up in the yes, South. That, exactly. that really, hot rollers were a daily routine back in the day. So, well, thank you so much for this fall roundup, Stefan. I have so many titles for my birthday wish list now. Oh, me too. So remember, we'll have links to these books in the show sheet for this episode, which is episode 92. Uh, find that on our website, preheatedpodcast.com. And, you know, listeners, we always would love to hear from you. What other new cookbooks are you excited about this fall? Let us know on our Facebook page. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get this episode onto the cooling rack. Next week, we'll review The Telegraph's Apricot, Peach, and Blackberry Crumble and introduce a sweet cherry hand pie from Taste of Home. And I'll fill you in on my recent culinary adventures in Italy during our globe-trotting gourmet segment. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at preheatedpod. If you like our show, please do tell a friend and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our podcast. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. 
Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.